Please turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Well, we touched a little bit just briefly on verse 21 last week. We close with submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God and uh, relating to how, how we are towards one another in the church. We don't lord it over one another, neither does the pastor lord it over the flock. Everyone is submitted one to another. I wish some pastors would get that into their head because they, they tell their flock what to do too much, too often, get too involved with their lives and too, give them too many directives and are unwilling to take any themselves sometimes. But anyway, that's another story. But submission in the church, and then now he goes on to submission in the home, and the submission of the wife to her husband, and how should the husband respond? There's a word he, you could highlight here for each one. What's the word for the wife? To submit. What's the word for the husband? To love. To love uh, his wife. And he'll go on after that to talk about Children, children, what's your word for you that Paul gives, that God gives? Obey, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath. And then he moves to servants with their masters, servants to be obedient to their masters, submit to them, and the masters are to treat them with kindness, with gentleness, and uh, to uh, with respect as well, to a certain degree, to look, uh, to look over them, to look after them, not to maltreat their servants. So all these ways, uh, Paul is applying uh, the principle of submission. And not only submission, but order, really, is what comes through. The wife submits to her husband, but the husband, we, say, would, we wouldn't say the husband submits uh, to the wife. The children submit, as it were, obey the parents. This is, we talk about young children in the home, not elderly children who have left home and started the new unit. That's a different story. But we're talking about children in the home submitting, obeying, listening to their parents, and parents uh, ruling their children in a kind way, in a, in a, a good way, and uh, the same with servants and their masters. So, but today we're looking at the role of husbands uh, and wives, and we're just going to concentrate on these last uh, few verses here in chapter 5. So firstly, verse uh, 22, the role of a wife is to submit. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The first thing to say here is that Paul is very specific with his words. He says, unto your own husband. That is, the husband who belongs uh, to you. The husband who is uniquely yours. He doesn't belong to anybody else. He's your possession. The submission is limited to just your own husband. You're not required to submit to every husband or to every man for that purpose. It's just your own. Some people do take this verse too far and they they put gender into it. Paul is addressing very specifically, he's talking to wives. But some people say uh, that this is talking about women 
should be submitted to men. That all women should be submitted to men. Full stop. It doesn't say that. The text doesn't say that. The text limits this to wives being submissive to their own husbands. And we mentioned last week the word submit. It's a military uh, kind of word. And we could think of it as soldiers uh, who are marshaled in, in military order under a commanding officer. And uh, it speaks of one uh, individual being subject uh, to another. Just like that soldier, he listens, he's subject to his commanding officer. He doesn't behave in a self-assertive kind of way. He doesn't behave in an independent-minded way. He's reasonable. And that's what comes in with this word. There's a reasonableness with this submission. So the wife is to be unto her own husband. Now, this kind of thinking is not appreciated by many today, and especially the, the feminist movement uh, target it and attack it and say, oh no, that's not right. This is, this is, not, this is not suitable for mo modern society. They, they say this is all part of the patriarchal society that we're living in, where the man is the dominant and the woman is put down as inferior. And so we need to dismantle this kind of thinking. We need to, to retrain our children, our children, how they're learning these kind of stereotypes, they say. They're learning it in the home. They're seeing the parents, and the husband, and the father and mother behaving in that way. So we must stop that right even in, in the home. And we must uh, change the traditional roles that people uh, grow up in. And so they're, 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 they're out to target to break down this, really, which God has put into place. This is an order uh, with an, a roles which have been as, assigned by God, an order in the home for the good of the home, for the good of society. God has put these things into place. So when we see uh, groups like the feminists attacking it, it's really, friends, a demonic attack. It's really a satanic attack because it's an attack upon God's standards and upon what God has put into place. Now we have to say, of course, we believe in equal rights for women. We believe that a, a woman should uh, have equal opportunities in, in, in jobs. We believe that a woman should have equal pay. She's doing the same job. She's entitled to the same salary as a man. We, we would agree complete, com completely with that. We agree that a, a woman has a right to vote. Uh, but the, the Bible, and the Bible even teaches us that men and women are equal. So this is not a matter of superiority. This is not a matter of saying the man is the dominant, he's the more important, he's more valuable, he, uh, he's, he's, he's better than a woman. No, friends, the Bible never says that. Some people think Paul goes down that line. He doesn't. The Bible uh, teaches that man and women are uh, equal. Often the case, the woman is more in intellectually capable than the man. Sometimes she's, uh, the wife is better in a sense, uh, inter in more intelligent than her husband, yet still she is uh, to submit uh, to her husband. So we don't, it's not a matter of uh, equality. The wife in God's sight is equal to her husband. She is equally loved by the Lord. She is equally precious in His sight. She is equally uh, valued uh, before uh, Him. 
So it's just her role is what we are, we are thinking about. And her role in the home, her role to her husband is uh, to submit uh, to him. Now this doesn't mean that she just sits quietly and accepts everything that uh, he says. And she just nods her head and obeys and is, is, is mum and says nothing and just agrees to everything that the husband says. No, that's not what is in mind here. She is making, she makes her contributions, she puts forward her suggestions, her ideas, her recommendations. When there's a big decision into the fa- in, uh, to be made in the family, well, the husband would be wise if he consulted with his wife and didn't just go ahead and make big decisions without telling her or only tells, tells her after. It's said by some, uh, I think with uh, the current war uh, happening in Ukraine, that uh, Putin, well, he acted without any counsel. don't know if it's true or not, but uh, some reporters are saying that he just went ahead of his own accord. This is what I want to do. I'm going to invade. He basically just told his generals, this is the, this is the plan. And without really consulting, have, have we got uh, enough uh, to meet, uh, to, to enter this war? But you see what's happening now with him. Now he's got a bit of egg on his face, we could say, a bit of embarrassment, really, because he's having to turn, uh, turn backwards in so many areas. But we don't want to be like that, even as husbands, where we make big decisions just on our own. A wise husband, well, he will... Uh, draw from the, the, the experience and the counsel of uh, his wife. He values, the husband values the input from uh, his wife. After all, she is built in such a way as to see things from a different angle. She sees things he just doesn't see. Uh, he, she's able to cotton on to things that uh, he misses and uh, he doesn't usually consider. And so, he will be wise to, uh, together to make a decision. But after much prayer, of course, as well, then the final decision, well, that rests with the husband. And uh, he, is, uh, he is to uh, decide the path that they are uh, to take. Well, what if the wife disagrees with the final decision? What if she doesn't like, uh, thinks that's the wrong way uh, to go? What should she do? Well, she can make, gently, she can state her, re- her reasons why she disagrees, but she still has to leave, leave it with her husband. What if afterwards she is proved right and the husband is proved wrong? Well, she can gently once again remind him, this is what I told you to do, but uh, and he and she can learn uh, from that. But ultimately, decisions uh, really are, are, are left with the husband. We could think of it uh, in this way, illustrate it in this way. Imagine there's a husband and a wife, you're, you're driving along in the car, the husband's behind the driving seat, and uh, the wife, well, she's in the passenger seat, and she can give him suggestions, you're going on a long journey, you're not sure where to go, or she can give him her suggestions, this is the way uh, to go, I think you should go this way. Well, he can listen, or he can decide his own path. Ultimately, he's behind the wheel. He's got control. He can decide where that car is going to go and which roads they're going to take. And he leads the way. And that's the, uh, that's the idea uh, also here in the home. The, the man is to lead the way. And the woman, while well, she contributes and uh, she's not just sitting quietly, but she submits uh, finally uh, to him. 
as unto the Lord, uh, Paul says, as part of her obedience. She's not doing it, oh no, because I have to do it. This is, she, she takes it in. This is part of my obedience uh, to the Lord. For his sake, I will uh, yield and live in this reasonable way with my husband. It said of uh, John Calvin, his uh, wife uh, was Idolet, and uh, she, uh, she, uh, she died after, uh, shortly after her death. He wrote this of her. He said, even on her deathbed, she was never troublesome to me. Even on her deathbed, which means suggests that throughout the marriage, she was never any trouble uh, to her husband. Well, that's a kind of example uh, for wives uh, to follow. But verse uh, 23, we, Paul goes on to mention uh, these, the roles, the order in the home. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The order in the home, the roles are appointed by God, just as uh, Christ and the church. Christ is appointed the head of the church, and the, the church is to submit to him in all things. That's the biblical pattern for the church. No one would quibble, no one would argue with submitting to Christ. Every true believer would willingly and joyfully submit uh, to him. Well, the biblical pattern for the home is that the husband is the head of the wife. He has authority, we could say, over the wife, as Christ does over the church. But he's never to exercise that authority in a domineering way. He's never to exercise it in such a way that he puts down uh, his wife. But in love, he's to exercise that dominion as one who is deeply interested uh, in uh, the welfare of his wife, who is concerned for her benefit and sees her as uh, his equal. He sees his role uh, as to lead, to guide the house, but never to dominate uh, in a, a, a way that, is, uh, that would hurt her and, and harm her. And so we, and he goes on to say here, and he is the savior of the body. That is a reference to Christ, uh, not the husband. Just as Christ, not only is the head of the church, but he protects the church and provides uh, for the church his body, he wishes her to be truly happy. He keeps her uh, from her enemies. He protects uh, the church in so many ways. So the husband also takes care of his wife, looks after her as his own body, provides for her needs, looks after her if she is uh, sick, protects her in so many ways, asks, how can I make her uh, happy? How can I contribute? What can I do to contribute to her happiness. Verse 24, let the wives, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Everything? Absolutely everything must the wife yield uh, to her, her husband? Well, of course not. It cannot be everything. When you when think of Christ, the church can yield to Christ in everything, yes because everything he does is perfect. He is perfect. He can do no wrong. Uh, he is all wise. Uh, he, is, uh, he, is, uh, he is perfect in all his ways. 
He never makes wrong judgments. He never mistreats. But the, the, the husband, well, we make mistakes. We are prone uh, to uh, make unreasonable de demands some, sometimes. Basically, we are imperfect. We are not uh, like uh, the Lord. And if the husband, well, we hope this never happens with Christian husbands, if the husband asks the wife to do something unethical or something that is contrary uh, to Scripture, the wife has a right to say, sorry, I cannot obey. I cannot listen in this situation. I cannot submit to you. She's not obliged in a, in, to do something that will go against her conscience. So not uh, in everything. So this is uh, in part the role of a wife to submit. But then we come to the husband. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And dear friends, just, may I just say, even though we're sort of focusing on husbands and wives, I'm aware that we also have single people uh, in our midst and uh, widows. And well, we hope that even in these things, as we talk about Christ and uh, see his love for the church and his concern for the church, there will be something also uh, for you uh, in this message. So husbands, uh, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. That's easy, isn't it, you say? That's easy for the husband to do. It seems like the wife has got the, the rough end of the stick, that uh, here it is, just love your wife. And the husband has to, has to uh, grin and bear submission, as it were. No, friends, it's actually a lot tougher. A bigger requirement is asked of the husband, because he, read on, even as Christ loved the church. This is the way the husband is to love his wife, not only with biological love, but with sacrificial love. That's how Christ loved the church, with self-denying love, the giving of himself, not thinking about himself, thinking about the church, thinking about those people that he came to save. This is uh, on his mind. We could, uh, we could put it like this, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven for his people, they who were given to him in eternity past by the Father. And when, uh, when the time came, he left heaven. He left heaven, that place where he was loved, where he was adored, where he was worshipped, where every single being in heaven loved him and fell down before him, adored by all. And he came into this world, he left it all. And he came into this world taking to himself our humanity. And what happened? Was he loved here? Was he adored here? He was despised. He was rejected. He, had, he was a man of sorrows in this world. Why put yourself through that, Lord? Why leave heaven for, for that? What are you doing, Lord? Well, I've come to save my people. I love my people. Was he pushed out of heaven? Was he forced out of heaven? No, he willingly left heaven. Love made him uh, come. Love made him condescend to our earth and bear all those things uh, for, for us. So sacrificial. He came to win us, to win our affections and love. We had no love for him. We had no desire for him. And initially, we saw no beauty in Christ. He had to win us over by repeated demonstrations of his love, and especially by uh, uh, showing to us what he did at Calvary 
and how he gave his life for us. And that broke our hearts, that melted our hearts, that, that caused us to see really how much he loved us. Oh, friends, Christ came to save us. Such a costly undertaking. It would cost him his, his life. There was no other way for sinners to be redeemed from their sins. Only he, he had to go to the cross. But he didn't flinch. He didn't flinch from all the, the, the mockings and the, the scourgings, the physical pain, and especially the, the inner pain when he was bearing our sins. What made him do it? Love for his people. Love drove him on. He came also, we could say here, to separate his people from the world. That's what's given, uh, suggested to us in the next verse, that he might sanctify the church. Make, take them out of the world, take them out of unbelieving uh, views and attitudes, make them believers, a separate people, distinct from others. This is what uh, he came uh, to do. How did he find us when he first came, friends? Well, he found, what a state he found us in. There was certainly nothing in us that uh, was attractive to him. There was nothing beautiful in us that he saw in fact, there was everything in us to repel him from us. There were uncleanness, uncleannesses, lust, pride, which he hates, envies, selfishness, resentments, malice. All these things he found in us, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our attitudes. But he saw what he could make of us. He looked beyond those things to see what he, would, he could make of us. He would forgive us, that he would cleanse us, and that he would make us beautiful, as it were, uh, in him. And so uh, this is what he set about uh, doing. He not, not only set us apart, but cleansed us with the washing of water by the word. The washing of water, regeneration, conversion, bringing us to him. As we, by the word, as we heard the gospel preached, uh, then we responded to it. And then he went on, as it were, conti continually uh, cleaning us up uh, as we hear the word, sanctifying us day by day as we walk uh, with him. And this is what he came to do. No easy task for him to do, to clean us up, to sanctify us. Oh, friends, we are such slow learners slow to learn God's ways. We take such small steps, it seems, in sanctification, and often we are going backwards instead of going forwards, and yet still He bears with us. Still, uh, He doesn't dispose of us. He is so patient with, with us. He is so gentle in His dealings with us. Yes, sometimes He's angry with us uh, because of our, our sin and our, our our, 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 our waywardness and our going away from him, but he brings us back. He never gives up on us. He may have to chastise us. He may have to discipline us, but he, he continues that work uh, of sanctification. Even now in heaven, the Lord Jesus is deeply interested. If I'm his, if I belong to him, he is deeply interested in my spiritual welfare, my spiritual development. Arrangements are being made by him. He has, we could say, a personal training plan for each one of his people. And he's arranging the circumstances that will, uh, they will be, be put into, the trials, 
the length of those trials, whether they will be short or whether they will be long, the degree of those trials, all with a purpose to increase their faith, to bring them to, to love him more, to bring them to depend upon uh, him more. He takes such uh, uh, a deep interest in us, in improving us, in removing those rough edges that we still have as believers. This is an ongoing uh, process. And this is what we see here from the time of our conversion onwards. The Lord is cleaning us up, washing us, verse 30, 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Until the last day, the Lord is preparing his bride for that marriage on the last day when, when he will come back again and that marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, friends, this is what the Lord is doing even now in uh, his people. That day when the church will be presented to Christ, spotless and perfect. So Paul says these things. He hasn't just digressed, but he's also saying this is how a husband should love his wife, like Christ loved the church self-sacrificially, self-denying, thinking about her. And he comes home from work. He's had a hard day. He's had a long day, a troubling day maybe. And he just wants to put his feet up. Maybe he wants uh, to just relax. But he comes back and he thinks, well, what about my wife? He thinks about her. Can I help her? What can I do to help her? How has her day been? He's thinking about her. He's caring about her. Yeah, denying uh, himself. Again, uh, uh, going back uh, to John Calvin and that marriage he had with uh, his wife, uh, Idolette. Well, it was a very short marriage, really. He, he loved her and they loved each other very much, tremendously. But they were only together for nine years. He's very particular about the, the qualifications or uh, the kind of person, the criteria uh, for the wife he married. When he eventually did find her, uh, yeah, he loved her tremendously. He looked beyond the physical and he was looking more at the, the spiritual requirements. But anyway, uh, he they were only married for nine years, but they did so much together in those nine years for the Lord. There were many refugees going into Geneva at that time, and many of them they would, uh, uh, they would reach, reach out their hands to and help. Even though John Calvin was so extremely busy preaching and teaching and writing, and uh, yet they were able to do so much together. But her health, Idolette's health, steadily declined over the years. In the last three years, well, she suffered with a fever, a fever that was going around uh, at that time. And in the last, last few months of her life, uh, she was bedridden. And so that meant Calvin had to look after her. And all he, all he had on, it, on his plate at that time, he had to look after her till her death in 1549, uh, a few months later. But he never complained. He never, uh, he never moaned and grumbled about it. He went about that so willingly and gladly, sacrificially, we could say, loving his wife to the end. The husband, just like Christ, must have a deep interest uh, in the all-round development of uh, his wife. She has intuition, she has judgment, she has gifts that need to be expressed. She doesn't need to be restricted to the kitchen. But he makes room. He's thinking about her. He gives space 
Uh, he wants her to have opportunities, well, uh, to fulfill. Uh, she wants, he wants her to live also a fulfilled life for herself and within the home, within the context of the family, of course. And so he's, he's thinking about uh, her uh, development as well. He's not suppressing those things, but looking for opportunities which, where she can express her gifts uh, too. Well, verse 28 moves, takes us on uh, to another thought, still to do with a husband loving his wife, uh, but from a different angle. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. And <clears throat> I take care of my body. I protect it from danger. I feed it. I look after it. I exercise it. I comfort, comfort it, you could say. I nourish it and cherish it. Here are the words that Paul uses. The word cherish is to warm, to keep warm, have an affection for it. And this is how I, as a husband, must be with my wife. I must treat her like my own body. I must protect my wife, provide for her needs, not only her temporal needs, of that of course, yes, but other kind of needs that she may have her need to, to be heard, uh, her need uh, to, to be given a listening ear. She, t- she too has had a long day. She too wants to unburden herself. She has so much on her mind that she wants to tell somebody about. And you giving her an opportunity to do that, oh, that's, a, that's a great help uh, to her. That's a great encouragement uh, also to her, to support her and to look after her. Yes, all these things are included. The marriage union has brought the two so close together, so close that they're no longer two, the Bible teaches, uh, but uh, one. As we say, she is your other half, and uh, she is as dear uh, to the husband and as precious to the husband uh, as uh, himself. No man ever yet hated uh, his own flesh. No, uh, verse 29. Uh, no normal person hates his own body. You never see that. It's so incongruous to see that, to see a, a, a man, this un, a normal person, I should say. There are a few who, have, who don't quite think uh, right in this matter. But uh, usually we, uh, we, we are concerned, we love our own bodies. So it's un- incongruous for a husband to hate his uh, wife. Uh, again, John Calvin said, The man who does not love his wife is a monster. (laughs) That's very direct, uh, isn't it? Well, we don't don't want to go down uh, that kind of path. But again, uh, Paul refers back uh, to the example of Christ. And the lesson and principle is drawn from how the Lord is with the church. Even as the Lord, verse 29, the, the, the church... For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. There's this union between Christ and the church. There is this mutual affection and love between Christ and the church. There's a closeness that there is there uh, 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 between them. He is in them by his spirit and they are joined uh, to him by, uh, by faith. He doesn't hate the church. You never, you never would say such a thing. The church is so dear to him. If you're a believer here, then you're precious to him. 
You're loved by him. You're a part of the Savior. He delights in you. He rejoices over you as those who are one of his. This is what he thinks of, of, of you as a believer. He that touches you touches, uh, touches him. It's so very close. Members of his body and of uh, his uh, flesh, of his bones. He feeds the church uh, with spiritual nourishment, with the word. He derived uh, uh, spiritual food as we think on the word and read the word, as we hear the preaching of the word. When we uh, are given thoughts uh, of himself and the work that he has done and his love for us, we, th we think surely he is, truly he is the bread of life uh, to us. And he cherishes also the church, protects it uh, from its enemies because it's, he's, it is so precious to him and gives it uh, communion. In, uh, the church enjoys uh, sweet communion uh, with himself. And so in this way, uh, the church is, is close uh, to and united uh, to the Lord. And verse 31, for this cause uh, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Uh, a, a reference from Genesis chapter 2 and verse uh, 24. A new unit is started every time a husband and wife, uh, a marriage uh, begins. Two will become one flesh. Now you know there in Genesis that Eve was formed out of a part taken from Adam, taken out of his uh, rib. And then when God brought Adam uh, to Eve for the very first time, what did he say? This is now bone of my bone. This is now flesh of my flesh when he saw her. He was so delighted uh, to see uh, her and to receive her as uh, his wife. He was, it was like he was receiving back a part uh, of himself. And friends, uh, this is how God sees every marriage. Every marriage is uh, not two people, but as uh, one uh, flesh. And Paul goes on to say, well, this is a great mystery. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What is the great mystery? What is it, friends? Well, the union of Christ and the church. When we think about it, it's, it's mysterious, not in the sense that it is unknown, but it's sometimes beyond our comprehension. How can it be that, that we are brought uh, as uh, believers into such close fellowship and contact and union uh, with Christ? How can it be that the Son of God would leave heaven and all that glory and come into this world to save sinners? To save those who, even who were his enemies and bring them not only to heaven, but to bring them into such close union with himself. To bring them, uh, to redeem them, uh, uh, and to bring them into such a particular love and care for them that is unimaginable. Who could imagine that we would be raised from such a low uh, position and brought to such a high position to be with God, to share in that inheritance that he has earned? Really, it should be all, all his, but he shares that inheritance with us. Who can imagine uh, such a thing? It's a mystery, isn't it, uh, to behold the great love that Christ has 
for fallen sinners and how he has redeemed not only one or two, but millions of millions of, of sinners and, and brought them to himself, united them to himself and uh, saved them and take them all the way uh, to glory. A mystery, friends, that is worth marveling uh, over. The marriage union also is a mystery to a certain degree that a man and woman should be joined in marriage and show such a love and care for one another, and especially uh, as things go on, as the years go on, and they, 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 they uh, get to know each other better, and they get to love each other more, and they uh, help and support one another uh, through life, in thick and in thin, in sickness and in health, in, in many troubles, they still are uh, together, they go through these things together, and they find fulfillment in one another, well, in a sense, we could say that also is a mystery and a wonder and amazement. And then finally, we could say it's also a mystery uh, in this sense, and this idea is brought out here by Paul, that marriage was meant to be a, a, a mirror of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church, just as we've been talking about Christ and the church so uh, also marriage is, marriage is meant to uh, image that, to mirror that, to reflect that uh, relationship that Christ has with his people. That was one of the designs of, of marriage, not only for companionship, not only for propagation, but also that uh, this role uh, of Christ and the church may be seen in the husband of a wife. And such a close union exists, as we know, exists between a husband and wife, exists also between Christ and his bride, uh, the church. Oh, friends, if we don't want to spoil that, that image, the wife, if she usurps authority over the husband, well, she spoils that image. Or the husband fails in his duties to love his wife, fails to lead, then he spoils that beautiful picture that was the intention of marriage. Let us be careful. Let us represent, uh, think of Christ and represent him not only uh, individually as ourselves, but as a family. Think of ourselves in the family home and think of this picture in our relationship with one another. So I hope these few practical and uh, instructions that we have heard this morning from the Word will be of help to us to, as husbands to love our wives and as wives to submit uh, to our husbands, but also wherever we are, whatever status we are in, we may find joy in having Christ our Savior and this union that we have with him. Well, may the Lord bless us. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 87, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, number 87, version 2.